Yehuda Gaber with uh, another episode of uh, Jewish History Soundbites podcast. And we'll speak a little bit today about um, the Slabotka Yeshiva, Knesset Yisrael, of the altar of Slabotka. And specifically, what we're going to focus on is what's called, what we're going to call at least, the golden age of the Slabotka Yeshiva. Because if we would try to cover the entire history of Slabotki Yeshiva, it would take many, many hours, and maybe we should, or I should, uh, devote a future podcast to it, and I will, I guess. Um, but just for now, in this context, um, we'll discuss, just uh, focus on the Golden Age. Parenthetically, the this was a subject that um, Reb Nassim Kamenetsky who just passed away, devoted a lot of his work to um, in his book, and The Making of a Gadol, and uh, his father, Rebekah Kamenetsky, learned and studied in the Slabatki Yeshiva during that time, so he's actually one of the primary sources, so it's ironic that I had already, originally planned on speaking about uh, the Slabatka, um, the golden age of the Slabatki Yeshiva, and it came out just right after his passing. So actually... There's quite a few, you can divide the history of the Slavatki Yeshiva into quite a few time periods, quite a few tkufis. And, and if, especially if we see some sort of continuum between the Slavatki Yeshiva in Slavatka and the Hevron Yeshiva in, first in Hevron and then Yerushalayim, and many would like to see such a continuum, that it's a, continuing the same Yeshiva. So it's quite an old Yeshiva, one of the oldest in the world. Um, would make it about 140 years old. Um, and, uh, and there's so many different time periods, and each one is really a, a story in itself. There's the early years of the yeshiva, when the altar of Slabatka, Reb Nassim Finkel, founds the yeshiva probably in 1881. Um, in Slabatka, he had been affiliated with the yeshiva in Kelm, and he leaves and he moves to Kovna, which was the main city, and Slabatka was a suburb of Kovna, and he's involved in other educational um, institutions for younger Bacharim, for the new Kovna Kailo, the altar was also involved in. And then in 18, about an eight, approximately in 1881, he founds his own yeshiva, and the early years are, you know, still searching for direction, um, still searching for early Russia yeshiva. There's quite a few that served as Rashi Yeshiva for short periods of time in the early years. The Altar of Slabatka always hired Rashi Yeshiva. He never served in that capacity himself. He eventually hires Reb Itzela Rabinovich, who is later known as Reb Itzela Panovizh, um, the great Rav and Rashi Yeshiva in Panovizh. And they part ways in 1894. So the early years, the Yeshiva is still... Um, not small, not really defined as what it's supposed to be. The altar has his vision of what he wants it to be, but it's not quite there yet. After Bitsilopanovizer leaves, the altar takes much more of a stand in the yeshiva. The two Rashi yeshiva that he hire are young, and and uh, the altar has much more of a say in the yeshiva. He hires Ramesha Mordechai Epstein and Rabbi Zalman Meltzer, and that begins, it's a new beginning for the yeshiva. That new beginning doesn't last long because in 1897 it starts a new period of the yeshiva 
just three years later, which is the period of the rebellions. And there's an anti-Musser revolt. This is the time, a revolutionary period in the Russian Empire, um, revolutions on the street against the Tsar. Eventually there's the famous 1905 revolution of the Russian people, the communists and others against the Tsar, which is crushed. And there's a lot of revolutionary spirit in the air, and it permeates the walls of the yeshiva. So during this period of time, from 1897 to 1905, there's a very lack of stability in the yeshiva. The yeshiva actually splits in two at the 1897 revolt, and there becomes two Slabatki yeshivas. One is called Knesses Beis Yitzchak, named after the recently deceased chief rabbi of Kovna, Rabbi Tzakalchanan Specter, who was well known and respected as the Gadol Hadar, the greatest leading Torah personality of his generation, who definitely deserves a podcast in himself at a future time. And the Alter Slabatka leaves the, his own yeshiva that he starts, not wanting to stay and fight. He leaves and he takes he moves the yeshiva into one of the shuls in Slabatka, the butcher's shul, called the Katsavish shul, the uh, butcher's shul in Slabatka, and he calls his yeshiva after the great founder and leader of the Musser movement, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. So he names the yeshiva in 1897, Knesset Yisrael. That's when it receives its name. It had been without that name until that point. And that's when it really becomes a Musser yeshiva. The anti-Musser element is removed through this rebellion. There are other rebellions later on, um, also a story in itself. And it's really in 1905 when the spirit of rebellion has quieted down and settled down and the altar has full mastery and control over the yeshiva that he's able to actualize the potential not only of the yeshiva as a whole, but of each and every one of his students and mold them uh, as as individuals. And this is really the golden age from 1905 until it's interrupted by World War I. Because what happens um, in World War I? 1914, World War I breaks out and the yeshiva has to go into exile, which is also a story in itself, first in Minsk and then in Kremenchung in the Ukraine. They only arrive back to Slabotka in the early 1920s, in about 1921, they come back, they straggle back, you know, very small, very few guys left in the yeshiva, and they start to rebuild the yeshiva in the early 1920s. And they're still in the process of rebuilding their shattered yeshiva, which had been destroyed because of World War I, when in 1924, the whole story of moving to Hebron takes place, which, we dis- which was discussed, which I discussed in an earlier podcast, and they moved to Hebron, and now there's a branch of Slabatka that stays in Slabatka, and there's another branch in Hebron, and there, the one that stays in Slabatka never reaches the glory of the former Slabatki yeshiva. The altar is no longer there. He moves to Hebron and then passes away shortly after. And Rabbi Isaac Sher and Rabbi Ram Grzynski, although they have a large yeshiva, a prestigious yeshiva, an important one, but it never retains the former glory of the golden age of Slabatka. And the one in Hebron had potential. It was in Hebron. It was a little in a backwater place as far as the Jewish world was concerned. It wasn't the center of Jewish life. And then, unfortunately, the tragedy of the Hebron massacre destroyed the yeshiva again. The yeshiva again splits. The senior students found the Heichel Talmud yeshiva in Tel Aviv. Rabchatzkel Sarna, 
the Rosh Hashiva in Hebron founds the Hebron Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. And again, neither one retained the former glory of the pre-World War I Slabatki Yeshiva. The post-war Hebron, the Hebron after World War II, and especially after the War of Independence, the post-1948 Hebron Yeshiva in, in Yerushalayim, was a great yeshiva, slowly built itself up, it was quite small, deep into the 1960s, it still only had a little over 100 Talmidim, 100 Bacharim um, in the yeshiva. Just recently spoke to someone who studied at the yeshiva in the 1960s, and he described it as still a small Haimashi yeshiva, with the mayor Chodesh still being the, pretty much the only one breathing the uh, world of the altar of, the, of Slabotka, the genuine Godless Ha'adam of Slabatka still at that later period of time. So you're talking about quite a few different uh, periods of the yeshiva, and uh, only one is the Golden Age. You know, and of course later on, Hebron blossoms, uh, but it's, it's blossoming, you know, it blossoms in numbers. The influence of Slabatka is lessened over time. In fact, recently, um, the Rosh Yeshiva of the yeshiva Oyer El Chanan, Ramesha Chadash, Ramesha Chadash's son, had passed away, and his elder brother, may he live and be well, the Mashkiach in the Mir, um, Rab Aaron Chadash, he was sitting Shiva for his younger brother, Ramesha Chadash, and I went to be Menachem Avel. So I'm sitting there, and uh, an older, respectable person uh, walks in to be Menachem Avel, and this fellow had studied at the Chavrin Yeshiva in the 1980s, and the late 1970s, early 1980s. And the Mashgiach wasn't sure when he had studied in the yeshiva. Ravaran Chadash was not sure when he had studied in the yeshiva. So he turns to this fellow and said, did you learn in the Hebron yeshiva before 1976, when the Hebron yeshiva was still in Geula? Or did you learn and, and did you study in the Hebron yeshiva after 1976, when the Hebron Yeshiva had already moved to its new and current location on the campus that it has in Givat Mordechai, in the other side of Yerushalayim. And this fellow says, I studied after 1976, I was only in Givat Mordechai. So the Mashkiach says to him, ah, so you didn't really learn in the Hebron Yeshiva. So that was uh, his way of uh, dismissing what his period of Hebron was. So of course, every period is different than uh, than than the one after it or before it. And each one has its uniqueness um, in time. And each one can be studied, and perhaps I'll get to it in, in, at other, uh, in other opportunities. So right now, we're going to focus a little bit on, what we're, on, on the Golden Age, on those 10 years. It was a decade. The whole Golden Age lasted only 10 years. And almost everything that we, as a society, talk about Slabatka and glorify Slabatka and romanticize Slabatka and the personalities that we know from Slabatka, almost all of them come from that golden age. Rabbi Shemotcha Epstein had built a huge, a huge, a large wooden building, um, which was the yeshiva's home for many years. Today, when I lead groups to Lithuania, we go to Slabatka. So there's a big brick building a couple of blocks away in Slabatka that has a plaque on it. Uh, the, this was the yeshiva of Slabatka, and the plaque is very inaccurate. Actually, um, a colleague of mine and myself were in touch with the municipal authorities of Kovna and Slabatka, of course, Kornis, Kaunis, whatever it's called in Lithuanian. Today, we're redoing the plaque so it reflects more of a historical reality. And I wrote in, 
what uh, what is the accurate information about the history of the Slobodki Yeshiv, which hopefully they'll include on the plaque. So hopefully next time I go with a group, um, we'll have the new plaque up on the Slobodki Yeshiva. But either way, the building was almost not used as as the Slobodki Yeshiva. It was used for several months. It was a long, protracted building campaign. And this brick building was only used for a few months. For the most part, what the Slobodki Yeshiva was, was two blocks away from that. And it was a wooden building. And that building no longer exists. Wooden buildings definitely uh, had a shorter lifespan. And it's, it's not around anymore. But uh, we know the exact spot. So I take the groups to that spot where the yeshiva was. It was a large, impressive building. And the altar lived in the, as an attached apartment to the building, as did Rebera Hirsch Heller, the, um, the mashgiach of the yeshiva. And, um, and that was where it took place. And just some of the personalities who were famous, uh, almost all the famous alumni of Slabatka learned there during the Golden Age. Rebruven Grzovsky, uh, the Rashiva in Beismerish Elian, and Rashiva in Kamenitz in, in, in Poland before the war, the son in law of Rabarach Ber, uh, Rabaran Kotler, Rabyakiv Kamenetsky, Rabyakiv Yitzchak Ruderman, um, the Rashiva Neri Srol, Rabchatskal Sarna. The the um, the Rashiva in Chevron, Ravrom Grudzinski, who remained in Slabatka and remained the Mashgiach in Slabatka till he was murdered by the Nazis, um, Rav David Leibowitz, who founded the Yeshiva Chavetz Chaim, um, Rav Meir Chodash, the Mashgiach in the Chevron Yeshiva, who was really the last of the last of the Mohicans. He was the last of uh, you know, he was the Mashgiach in in Chevron in Ateres Yisrael. He was the last one around of the great Talmudim of the Altar. Um, till recent times, till only less than 30 years ago. Um, Rabbi Chil Michal Gordon, the Rashiva in Lamja Yeshiva, was, was there at the very, very beginning of the, of the Golden Age. He really was there beforehand during the, actually the rebellious times, and he stood by the side of the altar of Slabatka. But the altar of Slabatka sent Rabbi Chil Michal Gordon eventually, um, to um, to Lamja, he married the daughter of the Lamja Shiva, Blazer Shalevitz, as did another Talmud of the Altar Slabatka, of Yeshua Zelig Roch, who was killed during the war. Um, um, but he was also a Talmud of Slabatka. Rav Rav Shach, Rav Shach learned for two years in Slabatka, also during its golden age. Um, one of the more famous, one of the more uh, fascinating personalities, Rav Ram Elia Kaplan. Who is later the the head of the Beis Medrash Lerabonim in Berlin? A fascinating personality, a genius, a Ilui. A tragically died very young. Um, he was one of the most talented and incredible products of the Slabatki Yeshiva. Um, died very young. He was in his thirties, and he was a product of the Golden Age as well. Rabbi Isaac Sher the one who succeeded the altar as the head of the Slabatki Yeshiva after they moved to Hebron and was the altar of Slabatki's son-in-law, was there during the Golden Age. Rav Ram Kalmanovich, who was the, later the Rashiva Mir Brooklyn, he was the last Rav in Tiktin. When Rav Ram Kalmanovich uh, died, Rav Yankiv Kamenetsky, this also I heard from Rav Nassan, Rav Yankiv Kamenetsky said, so the last uh, member of our Chabura, the last member of our clique, in, in Slabatka has passed on. I'm the last one uh, around. Rav Kalmanovich was definitely uh, there as the Talmud of the Altar of Slabatka in the Golden Age as well. He had some interesting characters there who 
didn't exactly follow the regular uh, 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 way of Slobodka students. Yet Saul Lieberman was there during the Golden Age. Uh, Saul Lieberman later became the head of the Jewish Theological Seminary, an interesting and fascinating character in himself. He was also there during that time. In fact, I heard from a student of Rev. Ruderman in, in, uh, in uh, Neri Sroll that Rev. Ruderman told him that he was roommates with Saul Lieberman, and the altar of Slabotka invited Rev. Ruderman to, um, to sleep in his own home, to sleep in the altar of Slabotka's home, and um, it possibly may have been b- because of he was nervous about the influence uh, that Saul Lieberman might have on him, um, and and uh, and 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 because of that, Rav Ruderman said he was zayche, he was privileged to live in the altar of Slabatki's house, and that all took place during the golden age of the Slabatki yeshiva. Um, this was the epitome of the altar's influence. This is when he had fully developed his philosophy, his musr that he took and developed of his own of godless Adam, the greatness of man. This is when he gave his most important and famous shmuzin. This is when he molded each and every bacher and every student individually. The other Slobodka did a lot in his life. He, had, he was involved in almost every yeshiva of his time. Rabbi Rucham Lubavitz in his Hespit of the Altar spoke about how the only yeshivas that managed to sustain themselves during that time were the ones that the Altar of Slobodka helped out and supported and uh, he was involved in the Kavna Kail and the Slabatka Kail. He was involved in so much. But during this golden age, the main focus that he had, and his, perhaps one of his greatest successes, was that he molded each and every Talmud individually. He, each one according to their strengths. He understood people like no one ever did. And it was within the walls of the Slabatki Yeshiva during the Golden Age that the greatest leaders of the Jewish people were molded and raised and educated. It was the atmosphere that the altar created that he's not only making the greatest Musr Yeshiva where people work on themselves to become better, but it's also going to be the greatest Yeshiva in learning. And it was, and it was the, the, the level of learning was high. And it was intense, and it was powerful. And the hours that they invested in their learning, the Altar Slabatka was able to create the greatest of both worlds during the Golden Age. It was the greatest yeshiva in learning and attracted the greatest minds in the Lithuanian yeshiva world. And it was also able to mold them in the Altar's view of godless Sa'adam, the greatness of man, the Musr of the Altar, the Shmuzan of the Altar. And that was reached its, its peak during this time. It was stable, it was calm, relatively, the yeshiva was financially okay, obviously it's relatively, they never were in great financial situation, but it was okay. There was stability outside the yeshiva, the yeshiva grew in size, there was over 300 students by the time World War I came, it was one of the largest yeshivas in the Lithuanian yeshiva world. This is in the post-Valazhan era, where Slabatka is one of the greatest yeshivas, if not the best yeshiva around. Uh, Tells like to always claim that they were greater. There was somewhat of a rivalry between Slabotka and Tells, but this was the golden age of the Slabotki yeshiva. We'll discuss the other aspects of Slabotka at a future time. This is Yehuda Geber with the Jewish History Soundbites. You can email me at ygebss at gmail.com um, for any questions, comments, sources, or to schedule tours to see these great places. Subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Don't miss an episode 
of our podcast. If you enjoy, give a good rating. Share with your friends and family. You can follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and we hope you enjoy.